So, Lord, a lot going on uh, in this church and through this church. And so we're grateful. We're grateful for opportunities to be your hands and feet. We're uh, grateful for opportunities uh, to grow our faith and take a step, but also to love and care for others. And this morning, we're excited. We're excited to open up the Word of God, to, to have it in our laps, and to wrestle, and uh, to absorb, and to grow, and to learn, and be challenged and encouraged through your Word. And so please guide us. Guide us every step of the way that we would be obedient and and submissive to you, our great God and King. And so we give you this morning, we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Awesome. All right. Well, if you're uh, new around here, this is a a great opportunity uh, for you to be here. We're kicking off a brand new series called The Fruit of the Spirit where we are looking at Galatians chapter five, where Paul outlines what are the fruits of the spirit. And we're gonna each week take one of those fruits, unpack what they are. I really encouraged you last week to bring your Bibles uh, and not just have it on your phone or whatever. And so I hope you're uh, taking that challenge. And, and I would also encourage you, don't just bring your Bibles, but bring a notebook, bring a pen, jot down notes, allow the spirit of God to speak to you, to challenge you, to invite you to something uh, deeper and more meaningful. Does that make sense to everyone? So please, you're going to hear this on a regular basis, bring your Bibles. If you don't own one and you don't have access to one, we'll buy you one. You just come and let us know. Say, I don't own a Bible. How do I get one? And we'll buy you one. Okay. Uh, If your kids are in the service with you and they attend regularly and they don't have a Bible, go buy them one. I'm not going to buy them one. Um, Go buy them a Bible and have them bring it. Have them turn the pages, underline, highlight, circle things, and wrestle with the Word of God. You're going to hear that every single week moving forward. As we get ready to start this series, I want to make something pretty clear. This is a heart series. This is a a series where we're going to wrestle with the conditions of our heart. Some of the mornings are going to be super uplifting, really encouraging, possibly even funny, and others are going to be pretty hard. They're going to be pretty convicting, uh, and they're going to be challenging for us to wrestle with a few things. The Bible says that as soon as we come to Christ, that is, that we receive Jesus Christ as our Holy Spirit, the Bible says that His Holy Spirit, God's Holy Spirit, comes and indwells within us. That is, He takes up residency. The living God comes and permanently takes up residency in us. God himself residing in you. Now, that idea in itself is something we're going to unpack each and every week, but we're starting at that because then the natural question is, okay, what exactly does that mean? And how does that exactly happen? And the foundational scripture for this series is in Galatians chapter 5, starting at verse 22. And so if you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to open those up. If you don't have one this morning, there are several in seats in front of you or in back of you or or underneath you, or you can uh, turn it on if if you're going to go the electronic way. It says this. It's also going to be on the screen. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Nine 
different fruits. And this morning, we're beginning with the fruit of love. What is love? This, the, the, the things that we're going to tackle this morning is this, what is love? Alex kind of introed us into that. What is this thing called love? And, and what is the greatest obstacle to love? One of the greatest ways to, to overcome your enemy is to know your enemy's tactics. And so what is the greatest obstacle to love? And what's the key to love? What's the key to walking in that fruit of that spirit? Does that make sense to you? Nod your heads. You don't have to shout out loud. But for these first two points, I want to go to a story that uh, Jesus tells in the Gospel of Luke. And so if you would turn with me to Luke chapter 10... Uh, it's just a few pages to the left. Luke chapter 10, and we'll be in uh, verse 25. Here, uh, as we get ready to read this story, Jesus is having a discussion with a lawyer. Super fun. And so he's talking to this expert of the law, and we'll pick it up at verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus, not always a great idea. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength and with all of your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. And so he asked Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? This lawyer is quoting Deuteronomy chapter six and at the very end, he tags on a passage from Leviticus. He, he gives the appropriate answer from Deuteronomy six, but then doubles up and tags on Leviticus. And we read that the lawyer wanted to justify himself. But let's go back for a moment. Jesus says, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. And for us, it's easy to miss this if we go too quickly. It's easy for us to, to view this particular story as if Jesus is affirming him. That he's saying, man, you have the right answer. That is so good. I'm so proud of you. But that's not what's happening. He's actually calling the lawyer's bluff. There's a debate that is happening right before our eyes. He says Christianity is, is not just about right thinking. Christianity isn't just about having all the right answers. Uh, Christianity isn't, isn't going to a Bible study and then being able to just recite those things. You are doing so great, Mr. Lawyer. Keep up the good work. That's not what he says. Jesus says it's it's not about those things, it's right living. And so live it. Don't just come and give me the answers. Jesus knows in this particular instance, 
This is part of why I love Jesus. There's a lot of what I love. I love the tenderness. I love that he holds a lamb. Uh, we, we know he holds a lamb because we've seen paintings of it. I love that side of Jesus, but I really like this side of Jesus. He knows that this lawyer is not there to make friends with him. He's not there to buddy up with Jesus. He's not there to be best friends and to build a camaraderie or, or even to, to even go further to follow Jesus. That's not why the lawyer's there. And so Jesus publicly calls this lawyer out. And the lawyer is embarrassed. And how do we know this? Because we read in the last verse that he wants to justify himself. He wants to vindicate himself. He wants to save face, if you would, in front of all these people that are listening and watching. You see, this lawyer has picked a fight with Jesus. Doesn't often go well. Ask the enemy on the day of the crucifixion. And so the lawyer does what all lawyers do when confronted by a question. He asks a question. What does a lawyer do when asked? They ask. And so he asks a question in response saying, okay, I hear you, Jesus, but I got a follow-up question. Who's my neighbor? And so let's pick it up in verse 30 of Luke chapter 10. He says, in reply to this, Jesus said, a man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho and when he fell into the hands of robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. I don't know how many of you have ever seen someone who's been robbed and left half dead. I have more times than I can count. It's an awful sight. And that is exactly what's happening to this man. He's been robbed and he's been left. He's in agony. And a priest, a priest just happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him and passed by on the other side. Now, this lawyer who Jesus is speaking with is a Jew. The priest in this story is a Jew. The Levite in this story is a Jew. And all Jews at that time hated Samaritans. Did not just not uh, uh, have relationship with them. Didn't maybe walk by on the other side of the road. Hated Samaritans. This was, as, as most experts describe, first century racism at its finest in the name of the people of God. And Jesus knows this. This is so great. Jesus knows this and is with full purpose going to take this story and flip itself on its head. He's going to take this Samaritan, this half-breed, if you would, and Jesus is going to make him the hero. And so in doing so, he confronts this racism, but he also is chopping this man down so that he can possibly be built up. He's shattering this paradigm 
And for us, he's shattering a paradigm because Jesus wants to change this man's heart. Let's pick it up in verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, his own brand new Ford Explorer. Took him to an inn and took care of him. Mark Arnett just got a brand new Ford. Well, it's not brand new, but it is really nicer than my Jeep. So he put him in his Explorer. And the next day, he took out two silver coins, uh, two denarii. That, that is uh, two full day's wages and, and handed them over to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you have. Jesus pauses. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, well, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. If you believe it, go do it. Don't tell me about it. Don't tell me you believe it. And then don't go live it. Don't sing about it. Don't talk about it. Don't debate about it on Facebook. If you believe it, go do it. Live it out. And so the question that we're posed with as we pause this story is, what is this thing called love. This week I listened to, uh, Spotify is an amazing thing. Pulled up Spotify and I just was listening to every song that I could possibly find that, that talks about love. Some of them are super interesting. Some of them are really inappropriate. <laughs> some of them have some serious twang and a truck attached to them. Really, Grant? And so... This thing called love. We know what love is, but we don't know what love is. We, we wrestle with, I love you. Or I love this. What is love? What is this first of the nine fruits? What does it mean in relation to God? Does, does this mean that God is nice? That, that God is respectful? That he's considerate? that he's indulgent. But there's a problem with this because if God is nice, what do we do with the bad things that happen in life? What do we do with sorrow and heartache? With conflict? With divorce and death and financial struggles? Crime, war. It just doesn't fit to say, well, we know that God is love because he's nice. And therefore, we can't look at our own personal experiences and say, okay, the totality of the whole shows in the midst of my life, God is love. Because you know exactly what I'm talking about when I introduce heartache. 
nor can we look at nature and say, look at that sunset. Look at that river. Look at that meadow. We're, we're about to get beautiful meadows here in Colorado with, with the spring wildflowers that'll come up. The most incredible time to hike anywhere in the country. We have a, an amazing mountain suns, uh, 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 setting right behind us. But we can't take nature and go, well, I know God is love because look around. It's so beautiful. Why can't we do that? Because there's too many natural disasters. There's tornadoes and, and tsunamis and floodings and fires and earthquakes and the list go on. So we can't necessarily take nature and attach it to love. So what is love? If we cannot take our ex personal experience and we cannot take our natural experience, the world around us, then how do we know that God is love? And that is this, we know God is love not through our experience or creation, but through the death of Jesus Christ. That's how we know God is love. Sometimes with, with a, a non-believer friend or, or co-worker or family member, we try and do everything we can to explain that God is love when it's staring us right in the face. We go to the cross. We always go to the cross. How do I know God is love when my life around me has been turned upside down or the world around me is in a natural disaster because God sent his son into the world to die for me and for you? In the story here that Jesus is telling, he is explaining eternal life. He's explaining what love is. And this is love. He's drawing this beautiful parallel from the man who was left dying in a ditch and is eventually saved by the Samaritan to the greater mankind who is dying and left in a ditch who will be saved by the one who is, will lay his life down in love for the forgiveness of sin. This story that Jesus tells is all about him. In other words, the Samaritan points to Jesus. The Samaritan is Jesus in the story. And Jesus knows that he's, he's giving this to a Jewish audience. He's given this to a Jewish expert in the law. That which was despised the Samaritan and says, I too will be despised but we'll give the greatest sacrifice for love. That's how we know what love is. That's where we find love. And so Jesus is defining love with a story. And so can you. To someone else, a, a story that ultimately points to the cross. It always goes back to the cross. Every single one of these fruits, you will hear us, myself and Pope and Alex, we will always come back to the cross and find love. Why? Because we're spectacular? No. Not because we're spectacular, but because God is. There was a time when I was, 
uh, sharing with someone else about the, the vision of the church and um, uh, what our focus is and what our mission is and what we're to accomplish. And it was a little bit of business, a little bit of scripture, but really kind of casting vision. And we finished up and, and I was supposed to coordinate with a young man and his beautiful fiance on when we could grab coffee. And so we, uh, after the service, I went and found them and uh, pulled out my phone and said, all right, let's, let's figure out when we can meet and uh, he looked at me and said, hold on, before we do that, I need to talk about something. And my first thought was like, oh my gosh, like, where's Josh, safety and security team, where's IED, uh, uh, whatever those paddles are. Uh, but I'm like, is there medical? But very quickly found out, he said, I, I think I've made a decision. And so we began to talk and grabbed him and walked into the sanctuary and grabbed one of our elders and began to, to talk about what this love of God is. And at first I was a little taken aback because I'm like, wait a second, this was kind of a business meeting. Like, how were you touched by this? And yet it was so apparent that the spirit of God had touched this young man and revealed his love for him. Nothing of his own doing, but entering into his story in that moment. And the elder and I had a chance to explain what it is that when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, what happens? And a lot, with a lot of questions, had the, the beautiful opportunity to lead this young man in prayer to accept Jesus Christ. And now still questions and, and a journey to come. And that Sunday was last Sunday. And Hunter, my new friend, is right there in the back with his beautiful fiance, Brittany. And you might look at Hunter and go rightfully so. Well, of course Jesus died for Hunter. Look at him. He's a strapping young man, super smart. He's like aerospace astrological engineer. Is that the ish? Something like that at CU. Seriously, I know it involves space and engineering. Super, super smart, handsome, beautiful fiance. You might go, well, of course he died for Hunter. Look at him. Or you might look up and down your row and go, of course he died for Chase. Of, of course he died for Grant. Like, yes. But no. The Bible says that, that he didn't die. He didn't love the ones who were his friends. In, in other words, he didn't die for his loved ones. He died for his enemies. Romans chapter five, verse eight, it'll be on the screen, but says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still yet sinners. And let me help you understand what this verse really means. Sinners here can also be phrased enemies or combatants. While we were still yet sinners or an enemy of God or a combatant of God, a terrorist of God, Christ died for us. Not because we earned it, not because we look good, not because we act good, but because he is good. It's his nature. He is love. And so my point is to understand this first fruit in love, we must go to the cross. 
And now I want to make my second point, move from what love is to what the greatest obstacle to love is, this epidemic that, that is in each of us. And let me start it this way. One of the ways that we teach our children, you've taught your children this way, we all do it, is we teach them in opposites. Chase and Katie are about to have a baby here at some point. They will teach their kids in opposites. This is good. This is bad. This is hot. Stop touching it. This is cold. This is safe. This is dangerous. This is polite. This is impolite. This is right. This is wrong. But I want you to listen to me very, very, very closely. The opposite of love is not hate. We often think that. It looks great on social media. It looks great on a poster. It is easy to say. It's easy to explain. But the opposite of love is not hate. Because when someone you love dearly does something wrong that you hate, you love them and hate their behavior at the same time. They're parallel existence to one another. So sometimes love and hate function as two sides of the same coin that you can't separate. And so what's the opposite of love? The opposite of love is self-love. The greatest obstacle to you being loving is your self-love. Your preferences, your agendas, your needs, your desires, your wants, your opinions, you. You are the greatest obstacle of love. And that's the only way that you can possibly describe why a Jewish priest or a Jewish Levite that is completely against anything that they believe would walk past a man who is half dead is that they were consumed with self-love. It's the root of the, the beautiful, awful song, Me, Myself, and I. And it has waged since the beginning of time. This Samaritan has a story to tell. And, and what Jesus is teaching is that if we're ever going to experience everything that God has in this one fruit of the Spirit, and if we're ever going to walk in light of the Spirit of God, then we have to confront and we must learn to die to self on a minute-by-minute, day-to-day, moment-by-moment basis. This Samaritan was super busy. He had places to go. He had things to do, but he stopped. The, the scriptures say that he bandaged and cared for and tended to. And then he said, listen, I got to go. But I will return and let me know what it costs you because I'm going to see this through. We cannot 
as followers of Jesus, have the fruit of love grown deep within our hearts if we are consumed with our agendas, our own hurts, our own struggles, our own plans. That fruit doesn't grow. And we need it. I read a statistic this week from 2017, so it's a bit outdated, but I doubt it's improved much. That worldwide, 12% of humanity gets the fruits in their system that they need. Some of y'all are guilty of that. I'm guilty of that. This fruit of love is what allows us to live. And yet we ignore it. We keep it from our diets. And this, by the way, when we give up our agendas and our hurts and our our plans, is why I love foster care and adoption so much. Because you don't do that work unless you die to self. You don't, you don't take on a drug baby and, and foster that baby for however long with sleepless nights and crying and, and uh, PTSD and separation and the list goes on unless you die to yourself. Because I don't know a single person who has adopted or fostered that it's just been clear sailing. You have to die to self. Because it's hard, it's suffering, it costs you. It costs you mental and emotional chips. It costs you financially, it costs your time. It just breaks and takes from you. And you have to die a part of yourself. And some of you are doing that right now. And God bless you. I don't know if you've seen this theological truth. Take a look at this. Sometimes we make seminary way too hard. <laughs> you guys seen this movie? If you're listening online, we have a, a picture of a, of a snowman with a carrot in its nose talking to some blonde in the movie Frozen. What's her name? Do we know who that one is? It's who? Obviously. So if you're listening online, there's a snowman talking to Anna. Ola. Forget it. <laughs> All right. And then in the bottom it says, he has a name, Olaf and Anna. Yes. Jeez. Should have done some homework before this analogy. Some people are worth melting for. Have you melted for someone? I'm not talking about like lean over to your wife and, and kind of give her that look like, Barry White tonight, you know, I'm melting for you. I'm not talking about, I'm talking a melting like, you know, when a snowman melts, the snowman's dying. We don't tell our kids that. It's kind of a morbid part of the story. Some people are worth melting for. The Bible doubles down on that and says, all people are worth dying for. All all people are worth love. And so who are you melting for? 
uh, think with me just for a moment outside of your family. It certainly begins with your family, taking care of your husband and wife and kids and your immediate family. That is great. But then take a step further and go outside of that. Who are you melting for? Who are you caring for? Who are you investing in? Who are you having meals with and discussions and crying with them and laughing with them and introducing Jesus and debating with them and discussing with them and building a relationship? Who is your heart breaking for? Because when, when the fruit of the spirit of love is growing within you, you begin to invest in and break for others. All right, let's hit the last point. What is love? Love is Christ crucified for me and for you. What is the greatest obstacle to living in light of that love? It's, it's me not dying to myself. Let's go back to Galatians, if you would, and, and let's bring it back up in chapter five, starting now in verse 16. It says this, it'll be on the screen. So I say this, live by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature for the sinful nature or the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature or the flesh, they're in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. According to the Apostle Paul, love, this fruit of the Spirit, is not conjuring it up every morning. It's not you waking up tomorrow and going, doggone it, I'm going to be loving today. It's not choosing to be romantic. It's not looking at the counter and going, oh, it's Valentine's Day. I'm going to be super nice to people today. According to the Apostle Paul, it's something deeper than that. And the key to the fruit of the Spirit is to continually walk in the Spirit. That's the key. The key to the fruit of the Spirit is to continually walk in the Spirit. Let me explain it this way. You and I are not self-contained power sources like a car or a truck. You realize that? I know some of you men think you're like uh, super-powered. And well, a lot of you are. But most of us do not have self-contained power within us. We're much more like electrically controlled lights that, that have to find an outlet and we have to be plugged into it in order to receive that power and that power generates something and a light comes on. We must be plugged into that constant current that is the source of power that's outside of ourselves. Not inward enlightenment, not inward self-help, not pulling yourself up by the bootstraps, not thinking correctly, not having all the answers like the expert of the law. It's this outside power and that is the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul calls these fruits of the Spirit, not the fruits of Brian or the fruits of Hunter or of Lisa. This is the fruits of the Spirit. And if we're not plugged into that, our, our being isn't being powered. So how do we stay connected? How do we stay plugged in to 
this current. I want to give you three very quickly uh, steps that we stay plugged in, and we're going to be unpacking these as weeks go on, so we're going to zip pretty quickly through these. Number one, we go to war. Verses 16 and 17. So I say this, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of your sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary. Contrary. That's a really nice churchy word. War. And one of my fears is that uh, continually we see in the American church is that we are becoming soft. We are relegating ourselves to felt board stories of the animals going in the ark and Easter dresses and Easter bonnets and a cup of coffee and a smile and a hug and oh, isn't it just so good to be here? When in reality, the Bible says we are in a war. But so often as believers, we're not armed. We have no weapons on our person. We have no bulletproof vest. And you're just going to waltz right into war. This metaphor of a sinful heart at war with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says the desires, verse 17, for the sinful desires, what is contrary to the Spirit. That, this word desires, here's what the original language describes as desires in regards to our sinful nature. You know what it means? An over-desire. You desire it too much. Uh, that means a lot of the things that we have aren't necessarily in of themselves evil, but our sinful nature, the flesh, the flesh isn't my body, the flesh is the sinful nature in my heart, over-desires things. Sex, family, cars, money, prestige, power, success. And there's this war that is happening every second of every day that the Spirit of God is trying to grow fruit in us and the sinful desires over-desire the things of this world and they are at war every second of the day. You see, the flesh, our, our hearts desire this horizontal way of living and the Spirit of God desires this vertical way of living. And so we go to war. How do you walk in, 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 with the Spirit? What's the key to that? Is you wake up every day, you roll up your sleeves and you go to war. There's a saying that we used to say at the police department, lazy cops are dead cops. If you've been in the military, you'll hear the same thing. Lazy soldiers are dead soldiers. And I want to say to you, with all the love that I can, but I hope it lights a fire underneath you, lazy Christians are dead Christians. You're dead to your sin. You're dead to the temptation. You're dead to your struggle. If you are lazy and you are a follower of Christ, you are going to get shot. And so we go to war. Number two, how do we stay connected to this power, this fruit of the Spirit? We live in light of our union with Christ. Verse 24 
those who belong to Jesus Christ, crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Your passions and desires of your sinful nature were crucified with Christ. And you know what happens? That rascal keeps coming back to life. It's like that cockroach you've killed. That's your sinful desires. You kill it and doggone it, there it is again. But how do we walk in that? Colossians says that you have been set free and you have been brought into the light of the kingdom of the son that he loves. You have a new purpose. You have a new identity because he loves you. Walk in that light. Walk in that freedom. Walk in that newfound identity. You are not weak. You are not defeated. You have not been overcome. You are strong because you have been brought into the family. And finally, you keep in step with the Spirit. How do I, how do I have the fruits of the Spirit grown in me? You keep in step. You ever take your kids somewhere, somewhere evil like Disneyland? There's like 8 billion people there. And you have little kids and you're like, keep up! Or you're like at Denver International or... or LaGuardia or LA and there's just everybody that breathes air is there and you're telling your kids keep up and you're taking strides and their little legs are like Fred Flintstone like I'm I'm trying you're like keep up keep in step and they're bumping into people and and crashing and falling behind you know what that is that's life that's life for the follower of God and God's going hey a lot of people here you're going to bump into a lot of things in life. Keep up. Stay in step with me. Stay in step. Don't lag behind. Don't, don't get lost. Stay with me now. And just like we do as parents, God, much more patiently than we do, we, God will turn around and go, all right, grab the hand. Stay with me. We stay in step with the Spirit. And we do that three primarily, uh, primary ways. Number one, we stay focused. Don't allow the enemy to, to thwart your thinking. Don't allow him to distract you. Don't allow him to, to make something appear in your life or in your mind that just utterly distracts you. Stay focused. Number two, stay humble. Keep your mind set on Christ and know that it's he who's changing you. And then finally, stay disciplined. Read your Bible, pray, memorize scripture, fast, stay disciplined. We're gonna get ready to take communion this morning. I want you to turn with me to go uh, 2 Corinthians. It's just couple pages to the left. You know, communion is an opportunity. Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. And oftentimes we think, okay, I got to, uh, in order to do this in remembrance of him, when, when he's hanging on the cross, I just got to dwell on this bloody man hanging on the cross. Okay, there's a moment for that. But it's so much bigger than that.
It's that this table reminds us of what he's doing in us. And so I want to direct you to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And this is what it says. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory and are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is spirit. Do you realize you're being transformed into the likeness of God? You are being transformed into the likeness of the God of all creation. You are taking on his appearance. As you grow, you're taking on his character. You're you're taking on his spirit. You gotta be kidding me. In all of our sinful nature, in all of our struggles, you are being transformed into the likeness of God. Whoa. It's what gives us a glimpse of what Philippians says, that he who began a good work, what good work did he start? Me being a good parent? Sure. Me being a good son? Absolutely. But he who began a good work in transforming me into the likeness with ever-increasing glory. That's life-changing. And when we come to the table, we do this in remembrance of that's what's happening. This fruit of the Spirit. (laughs) We're going to figure it out. We're going to battle. We're going to figure out what love and peace and kindness and gentleness is. Please bring your Bibles. Please bring your notebooks. Please bring a pen. Take notes. Wrestle. Grapple. Get into a life group and continue then as God speaks to you to bring that into your time of worship. And so as we come to the table, would you join us on the sides uh, as you approach and then go back to your seat up the middle and enjoy this time with your Lord and Savior. That he's transforming us. Thank you, God.